Welcome to the Plexus Podcast. Today, Brad Johnson and J.P. Novin are joined by Dr. Wes Fugate, President of Wilson College. Welcome to the Plexus Podcast Series. Today, we are with Dr. Wes Fugate of Wilson College. So happy to have you today. Thank you for joining. Yeah, glad to be with you and um, excited to, to be a part of the conversation. Excellent. Well, hey, let's go. Let's start with your background. Um, and I always like to start with your journey to the presidency. Um, a good place that, that, that we typically take presidents is your mentors. Yeah. Who are your mentors that really shaped your journey? Well, uh, what a great question. And you should know I am a first generation college student, the son of a coal miner and a beautician. And so uh, being a college president was a never a part of my dream until one day John Rausch, who was the 20th president of Center College, uh, said to me, I think you ought to think about a career in higher education and perhaps consider one day being a college president. And I said, well, I don't wanna focus entirely on one academic subject for the rest of my life. And he said, no, I think there's a better path for the modern presidency. You need to know about all the areas of a college. Uh, uh, and the way to do that is by being a chief of staff to a president. And so, even as early on as an undergraduate, John Roush, who just retired um, um, after 22 years of service to Center College, um, uh, suggested to me to, to start looking into this. And uh, he's been a great mentor along the way. And then of course, I've worked with others from um, great academicians in the classroom who've taught me about the value of what the faculty do. I think about Keith Dunn, who was my advisor um, as an undergraduate student who I still communicate regu regularly with. He's the provost at Millsaps, um, as well as uh, the president that, that I most recently uh, served under, Brad Bateman at Randolph College, um, mentored me all along the way and gave me extraordinary opportunities to really experience multiple parts of the institution so that I was fully ready for this opportunity when it came along. So when I look at your homepage on your website, it says, find your bold. But can you tell us what that means? Sure. So, you know, I think today's student, uh, we are prepared uh, at Wilson College to help them discern um, how they're going to go out and make a remarkable difference in the world. And they may not know what that is yet. I mean, I think about myself as an undergraduate, I arrived uh, to college thinking I was gonna be a doctor because um, you know that's what people went to college for in the mind of this first generation college student. Um, and I had a great advisor who said to me, no, I don't think this is what you're passionate about, but what, what are you passionate about and what big problem can you help solve in the world? And, um, and so that's what we're trying to help students do figure out what they're passionate about and see how they can go out and solve some, some big problems that exist in our communities. Well, and I'll tell you, I think Wilson College has really been bold. Um, you know, you have hit six years in a row, enrollment growth, uh, which is very hard to do, especially today. Can you talk to us about how you've been able to do that? Sure. So I have to give a lot of uh, the praise to my predecessor, Barbara Mystic, who's now the president of the National Association of Independent Colleges and Universities. But she came in to a college that was experiencing some challenge, as many small privates uh, were experiencing, and formed a, a thoughtful strategic planning process that identified a couple of things. One, we had been a single sex institution um, for our entire history. And she said, you know, I think um, uh, 
the data is proving to us that this is going to be a challenge for us in the future. Um, secondly, uh, to explore other uh, academic programs. Um, and we have been a place that's been strongly rooted in the liberal arts since our founding 152 years ago. But we have added on top of that uh, liberal arts preparation, strong career preparation as well. And so we added some um, uh, majors like nursing, for example. Um, and then uh, finally, to really think about adult and graduate education more robustly than we had in including online education. And so you're right, uh, for a number of years, uh, we experienced dramatic enrollment growth. And in fact, the business journals have commented that from fall of 2016 to fall of 2020, uh, Wilson was the 25th fastest growing institution in the country. I would love to say that the pandemic has not impacted that in any way, but unfortunately, um, we serve primarily low and middle income students. And those are the families that have been hit hardest during the pandemic. So our enrollment has declined during that time. So you recently started, not too long ago, um, the pandemic hit. So you've definitely had to deal with that. But set that aside just for a second. What has been the biggest surprise that you have had as the president? Sure. Uh, well, that's a great question. And you're right. Uh, January of 2020 is when I began. So there's a great book one day entitled Day 77, uh, which is the day that I sent everyone home um, and said, we're going to do this uh, with remote instruction. Um, but I think the biggest surprise to me, frankly, has been the Wilson community. Um, I have been in higher education or studied higher education for most of my career. And I was very surprised about the willingness to look challenges um, straight in the eye and say, we have to change and adapt. Um, our faculty and staff work so well with one another. Um, that is not always the case at, at some institutions. It's faculty versus staff. Um, they really are working very uh, intently um, together to help solve the challenges that are before us, not just with the pandemic, but the demographic challenges that we will face, uh, well, are facing in Pennsylvania already and will continue to face across the country over the next several years. That leads right into my next question, um, especially in Pennsylvania. It's a saturated marketplace. How does Wilson College compete? Well, um, First off, you, you've heard me say that we are a place that's rooted in the liberal arts. Um, so we do believe that the very best preparation a student uh, can receive is to be able to think critically and creatively, um, to communicate effectively, to work in groups of people who are not like themselves. Um, but that alone may not be enough. And um, there are many institutions out there who uh, talk about delivering a great liberal arts education. Where I think we have some pretty unique uh, and interesting uh, areas of focus are all things animals. So we are known for veterinary nursing, um, our equine programs, uh, animal science, biology pre-vet. That is a, a very robust uh, uh, cluster for us, if you will. Um, we are known uh, pretty well for our graduate and adult education programs. Um, we have hundreds of students in these programs and we offer it in some fairly innovative ways. You can receive that instruction online or you might even receive it in your school district. So in person, in your school district from administrators within your school district. Um, and we're really proud of the growth of those programs. Um, additionally, uh, we are a place that really does think about uh, the individual and how do we make sure that we help a student, no matter their challenge, uh, find their path. And in particular, we think a lot about low-income and first-generation uh, college students. 
Um, we have an affordability message that I think more people need to, to know about. And I say this uh, often on the road. Um, in the past decade or so, uh, colleges and universities have increased tuition by 25%. During that time, Wilson has actually decreased our tuition by 12%. Our tuition remains uh, the same, about the same price as it was 15 years ago. Our tuition room and board is about the same price it was the 2010-2011 academic year. And thanks to the generosity of our alumni, alumni, and friends, the cost of a Wilson education, um, after you receive all that generous financial aid that we offer, is about the same as a four-year public institution uh, here in Pennsylvania. So we are, um, we have an affordability message that I think is remarkable. We've only increased tuition twice in the last decade, and more people need to know about that. And I'm trying to get out on the road so people do know about that. Well, and when you look at first-generation students, how do you make sure that you can retain those students? They matriculate and move through to graduation and really see the forest for the trees, so to speak. Yeah, it's a great question and one that Wilson continues to work on every day. In fact, I just came out of a meeting this morning where we talked about our first year students and some survey results we got back and how do we address particularly uh, some of these more vulnerable populations like first gen. Um, it is a it is a process that we uh, have been working on uh, since I arrived at the institution. Student success is, is our um, North Star. And we're trying to put mechanisms in place that make sure that we account for each and every student because all of their stories are unique and the challenges that they face are unique. So we find um, uh, different ways to support those students. I'll give you one example of a program that we launched several decades ago. We have what we call a single parent scholars program. Um, mostly single mothers um, who bring their children to campus. We provide free housing um, for those women. We provide free food for their children in the dining hall. They take care of tuition and their own um, uh, dining, uh, of course, with generous financial aid from the college. We also have an endowment that covers their childcare expenses. So we want to provide them an environment where hopefully the support is all around them to succeed. And that's amazing because we now have students who were children in the single parent scholars program who've come back, graduated from the institution and are now working in our admissions office. So it's having a remarkable effect and impacting generations to come. Uh, but I would, I would say, as most institutions probably know, the work around first gen and vulnerable populations um, is not a one uh, size fits all approach. And you've got to try a number of different mechanisms. And we have a, a student success a task force that's been working on that all this year, in fact. When you look at when you look at traditional age students versus adult students, um, how do you go about? I mean, tr marketing and recruiting and retaining those students are different because life is different. Can you talk a little bit about those differentiation factors and and how do you approach a traditional versus adult learner? Yeah, uh, very differently. You you point that out quite well. Um, you know, the, the traditional undergraduate population is really looking uh, still, I believe, uh, maybe even more so post-pandemic, um, in that in-person educational experience. Do they want the flexibility that some online courses might offer them? Absolutely. And we have about 25% of our traditional undergraduate courses online. Um, but they really are still looking for what most of us know as that traditional college experience. And so the way in which we communicate to them um, and involve their parents and other decision makers in their orbit um, is extraordinarily different. 
than the adult student. The adult student is really looking for flexibility. Um, so we've moved a lot into um, hybrid programs where uh, I'll take our, our Masters of Fine Arts, um, uh, which is a, a really cool interdisciplinary program that enrolls very well for us. Um, we do 11 months online and they come for a one month residency, which is much more convenient for those students. Um, for our uh, LPN uh, to BSN program, again, most of the instruction online, but some clinicals there at the very end that are done uh, through in-person instruction. And so finding ways to really meet the students where they are. Um, of course, we're not spending as much time thinking about the others in their influence when we're talking about adult students because the, most of those students are making the decisions for themselves. Really putting support opportunities for them at hours that would be different than what a traditional undergraduate student would want uh, because we know that their lives operate differently. Uh, it's, you know, maybe whenever their uh, child goes to bed that they might need some additional support. So trying to find as, as many ways as we can, and that's tough for us. We are a small institution um, and we're not going to be able to provide uh, the same on-demand access that one of the the major online providers uh, might be able to provide. But in this sense, you get the best of both worlds. You're not just a number, um, you are an individual uh, that's being provided some support um, in ways that are convenient for you. I love it, meet the student where they are. I, I really love that, that phrase, that mantra. So you'd mentioned master's programs. Um, will you become university soon? You know, it's not a conversation necessarily that we've had, uh, you know, the very first uh, paper that I ever read in graduate school was called A Rose by Any Other Name, and it was by Chris Morphew. And it basically said, people spend a whole lot of money changing their name from college to university, um, and it brings them nothing. Um, and so uh, many institutions have changed their name. We may continue to offer uh, uh, graduate degrees, um, uh, and, and more of them I anticipate in the future, but that doesn't necessarily mean we need to just change our name. I think the one area where it does benefit you is in the international market, uh, because the words college and university mean something differently uh, in, in other countries. Uh, but right now, um, that's not the, the, the big move for me. Um, I came from an institution that changed its name, and I recognize how difficult the marketing initiatives um, become when you have to kind of in, in some ways start from scratch, although, you know, going from Wilson College to, to Wilson University would not be quite as difficult, um, but it is, uh, you know, a whole new branding effort and that requires a lot of resources. Sure. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. We just thought we wanted to give you the opportunity here on the Plexus <laughs> podcast. If you want to make that announcement, you can do it right here. No, 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 not, not <laughs> quite yet. <laughs> Excellent. So, hey, you you are clearly in your office. You've got a great setup behind you. And so, hey, could you take a moment with the plaques or maybe that's a parent up there, I'm not quite sure, but yeah. let me know, what's your what's your favorite item in your office? And do you have Ooh. a story behind it? I, I, I don't know about necessarily favorite, but I'll give you just a couple. So um, what is behind me is the Phoenix um, and that is our mascot here at Wilson. Um, so I always have uh, school pride. I am Mr. School Spirit, almost always in my Wilson blue with my lapel pin on. But a really cool item is you can see there's a little angel um, right behind me. Um, that was given to me when I uh, was a guest speaker uh, in an education program at my last inst institution, Randolph College in Lynchburg, Virginia. And I would speak to them every year about um, uh, diversity and inclusion and um, what it means to teach to students who don't look like you or um, 
who may not identify in the same way that you do. And so it's hard to tell, um, but this angel is actually a person of color. And when I was uh, departing the institution, the education department gave that to me as a reminder of my commitment to serve all students. And, you, and, and the angel's actually holding an apple. So um, it's, a, it's a really neat uh, reminder of me of my commitment to serve all students. That, that is great. And talk to us about diversity um, and talk to us about, you know, your mission at Wilson College and how diversity and inclusion at, at the institution. Well, uh, this has been a big push for me. Uh, when I arrived, uh, we were an increasingly diverse place, but I would not describe us as an overly diverse place, which is something I would love to be at some point. Uh, but we acknowledge that we live in an area that is less diverse than some other areas. Um, I formed a President's Commission on Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion, and I stepped away. I gave them a charge and said, you go do the work and come back with some recommendations. And uh, they did do that. Uh, they, they, they dug deep into that work, a group of faculty, staff, students, and alums, um, and, and have delivered a number of recommendations for us to start to implement. We hired a new Director of Justice, Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion, Dr. Erica Johnson, who joined us. Um, uh, this fall, she's already starting to help us implement uh, those initiatives. You know, we have a history of over 152 years of being a place that provides educational opportunity to those who might not have had it otherwise. You know, first it was for women, eventually became adult students, then um, uh, our single parent scholars, then um, uh, our new affordability message. Um, and making sure that all students, uh, no matter of, of their income, had an access to a great Wilson education. So serving a diverse student population is, has always been a part of our history. Of course, it's the right thing to do, but also the demographics require it. Um, we know that the birth dearth from the Great Recession will arrive at college and universities doorsteps in 2026 and over from 2026 to 2028, it's predicted that the college going population will decrease by 15%. The only way that we can change that percentage is to get more students who um, might not have been thinking about going to college to go. And the best opportunity for that would be people of color. And so I'm hoping that, that Wilson increasingly becomes a place that people of color uh, turn to and say, that was a great institution where I know I will be supported and I can thrive. So where do you where do you see Wilson College in ten years? Uh, great question. Um, I hope that Wilson will be a place uh, that has managed that demographic cliff. Um, I have been uh, blunt to many in higher education that we cannot all grow our way out of these problems. Um, we have to think really creatively. So. Uh, partnerships will be in our future. Um, we are talking with other institutions about how do we share curriculum? Um, how do we share back-end services? Um, I, I hope that we will be a place with uh, even greater student success for students of all backgrounds, um, no matter how they look, uh, who, who they worship with, um, uh, uh, who they love, uh, that we are a place where no matter your background, you can come and succeed. I, I hope that we will be a place that uh, we'll continue to have uh, a diversity of academic programs that's rooted in the liberal arts and really provide students with the skills, not just for that first job, but for the, the next 14 um, that they're anticipated to have over their lifetime. Um, and that we will still layer on top of that great career preparation with access to great internships 
um, and uh, externships so that they're ready for that uh, career once they leave Wilson's Halls. That's fantastic. And, um, you know, I, I want to go back to your undergraduate, Dr. Forget, as far as Central uh, College. I noticed that you were, uh, your major was dramatic arts and economics. Now, yeah. economics doesn't, but talk to us about demand. And, and another thing I want to mention, you had over the accolades that you had in that college must be record-breaking because I, I, I've counted over 20 scholarships and dean lists and you you are really into it. <laughs> well, uh, some might have said that I was Mr. Uh, Center College as an undergraduate, it is true. <laughs> um, uh, you know, uh, Again, I, I thought I was going to be a science major, um, and it was Keith Dunn, the, the uh, provost at Millsaps, who was my advisor, and he said, Wes, I don't think that this brings you joy. What really brings you joy? And let's let you explore the curriculum um, and see if you can find some places that really make you happy. And, uh, you know, I had done professional theater from the time that I was 11, and so dramatic arts just seemed to be a natural fit. I actually discovered economics. And, 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 you know, would economics have been the subject matter that I would have fallen in love with had it not been for excellent teaching from, from folks like Dave Anderson and Bruce Johnson? Maybe not, um, but great teaching turned me on to the field. And I actually thought these two things marry very well and most people don't see that. You know, I could have seen myself as an arts administrator, but what I thought that dramatic arts and economics really gave me was strong business sense, along with the creativity to help um, think my way out of challenging situations and communication skills to be effective at delivering messages uh, to those with which I, I work. And so um, it has actually ended up being a beautiful marriage of, of skills and talents. Um, but that's the beauty of a liberal arts education is that I'm I was taught to think critically and creatively to communicate effectively and, and work with lots of folks uh, to be successful. And um, a, a center certainly helped me do that. Well, you're much braver than I was. I was an econ major and uh, I looked at all the math courses because my mom was an econ major as well. And I just walked to the administration and changed to philosophy. I called my immigrant parents. I said, I'm going to philosophy. They almost had a heart attack. So <laughs> bravo, you kept up with it. But you actually hit on a very important topic, which is the value of a liberal arts education. Because all the stats you look at are saying the future is AI, machine learning, and you know OECD report just said over 30 to 40% of jobs are either gonna be replaced or complemented by AI. So would love to get your feedback on the power of a liberal arts education for the AI generation we're about to face in our workforce. Um, well, of course, I'm a product of a liberal arts education. My research is on liberal arts institutions. I've served at liberal arts places. Um, but I also recognize that the liberal arts have changed over time. Um, you know, first it was the trivium and then, and then the quadrivium. Um, well, that's not what a liberal arts education looks like today, even at the most pure liberal arts institutions. So I, I think the value of a liberal arts education is exposing students broadly to those critical areas um, that we now, you know, think fall into the liberal arts. Um, and, and, Think about, particularly based on what the student wants to do, 
are there some career skills that we can give them um, on top of that so that they can be um, not either or, but both and? And uh, you, you talk to corporate CEOs and time and time again, the skills that they are looking for um, are exactly what a liberal arts education provides. Um, liberal arts has become a kind of a dirty word perhaps to some in higher ed. And there, there are probably two reasons for that. I think folks uh, understand that there's a, a, a really big focus on what's that first job and what salary are you getting uh, your first year out? Well, if you look at those that go to liberal arts institutions um, 10 years out, they're overtaking the salaries um, of, of other institutions. Why is that? Well, they're now becoming the managers. They're becoming the leaders in those organizations. And so I do think that that preparation is going to prepare folks for jobs that have not yet been created. Um, you know, jobs are turning over so quickly. You know, I could never have majored in social media marketing because it didn't exist when I was an undergraduate. Um, so what we try to do at Wilson is pro provide people with the skills to be adaptable as the world changes. And certainly uh, this, this AI technology, I was just visiting the Ulta Beauty uh, Distribution Center here in, in Chambersburg, and there are now robots stacking all of the boxes. Um, you know, yes, there are going to be some technologies that will, will help us be more efficient in certain areas, but there have to be people that solve the big problems and help us operate those equipment. Um, and um, I, I think that just makes a liberal arts education even more valuable. And at a place like Wilson, where we're going to give you that liberal arts education with additional career preparation, um, it, it really helps us uh, position ourselves well for the future. Absolutely. I, I think one of the areas that I've always seen when engineers or people who come from the hard sciences, they might look at things as zeros as one, even in health sciences, you would look at that. Whereas there are a lot, it's a nonlinear world. And, and so hopefully liberal arts education. And, and I, I love the balance that you talked about, because even when we get a resume, when someone has both sides, we always find within two years, beyond competence, liberal arts kicks in. Yeah. You know, it, it goes a long way. Um, you know, you, you did bring up the question that the, the point that a lot of your students come from lower social economic background, or, or some of them do. And, and I want to go to the heart of this, because as you know, in higher education, the issue of equity has been in the forefront for many years now. And, you know, obviously, th there was the attack on for-profit universities for not being able to serve students properly through persistence and graduation. But uh, I, I recently read a book, uh, Tyranny of Merit, uh, that talked about how only 2% of students who come from, you know, lower, uh, the 20% lower quantile are actually making it to the top 20% quantile. So it, it is very hard to actually get out of the, you know, the, the lower quantile and, and go higher. Uh, what do you, how do you think about that issue in terms of persistence, graduation, job placement, and just success throughout life as, as you train the students through your institution? Sorry, this was a very long question, but you get the point. Yeah, well, I mean, I think it's important to recognize that the yes. challenges that a low-income student has are very different than what a high-income student has. And so we, as a culture, have been taught to think 
out in four years. And, and to be very frank, that's part of my message is we got to get students across that stage in four years or less prepared for a meaningful life of work and service. But we also have to acknowledge that at a place that was pre-pandemic, 40% Pell eligible, those students have other challenges in their lives that may take them away from the education for a period of time. How do we continue to support them so that they come back to us? Um, uh, how do we stay engaged with them so that they don't forget about us um, and, and recognize the financial challenges that they have, the family challenges that they have? Um, it's uh, significant for them. And, and, and so the statistics of places that have a lot, of, a lot more low-income students um, means that they're not going to have as high of graduation rates. Of course, we're all trying to change that and providing the support mechanisms uh, to help them to find more financial aid uh, to, to help them persist. Um, but I, I tell my team all the time, don't compare us to um, the top 25 of the liberal arts college list. Um, they have resources that are very different and the students they serve are different. They are prepared different academically. Um, and um, I think what we're doing is beautiful because we are going to change the lives of families for generations to come. Um, you know, when I hear the stories, I was in the airport the other day and was wearing a Wilson shirt and a, a former single parent um, uh, uh, scholar walked up to me and said, do you have something to do with Wilson College? And I said, yes, I'm the president and I'm so excited to talk to her. Um, she told me about the amazing things that were going on in her life that she said would never have been possible without the supports that Wilson had put in place for her. And so those are the sort of things that I, have to, I think we have to keep in mind that we are changing lives. We've got to keep those students connected to the institutions, even if they have to stop out for a period of time, find ways for them to continue to progress. Does that mean that they use our online courses so that there's more flexibility? Does it mean that um, we, we have launched robust uh, January and summer programming so that students who might have to stop out for one reason or another have ways to catch back up. Um, we are trying to put as many ways as possible in place so students can uh, be successful, recognizing the challenges that they're facing. It's, it's tough, right? Because every student has different challenges and the network around you makes a huge difference in, in your persistence. And you know what happens out of college is much harder to control, obviously, than, than what happens within college. Um, so you, you're aware for the last three decades, you know, people like uh, scholars like Christian Clayton and Clayton and all, all of them have been talking about um, how a lot of smaller colleges are going to fa face existential threat for survival, right? Um, but a lot of the predictions have not been at apologetic, have not been as dire as most people have predicted. Why do you think that hasn't come through? The, the big crisis that, that was predicted about small colleges closing? Well, I think uh, a lot of those were just really big uh, uh, assertions um, that maybe didn't have quite the data behind them. Um, you know, small colleges are certainly challenged right now and the pandemic hasn't helped us uh, in any regard. Um, but we are remarkably resilient places. If you think about it, in 152 years of Wilson's history, our board of trustees have actually voted to close the college three times. Um, and yet the Phoenix rises, as I like to say. Um, 
we, we have found ways to persist um, through the generosity of our community, our alumni and alumni. Um, and I do say alumni and alumni because we still have um, women from the all uh, women's days that would prefer I use the word alumni. So I, I say both. Um, but we, we, um, we adapt. Uh, so Wilson is not at all the same place that it was before our most recent attempt at that was 1979. Some refer to it as um, uh, the original Sweetbriar because we were the original uh, uh, version of that. In fact, Sweetbriar folks called us to say, how did you manage to reopen um, and go through those court cases like we did? Um, we, we did that through resiliency. We adapted uh, our curriculum. Um, we had some very challenging years, but the, the, the heart of the matter is there are students out there that still want the education that we provide, an individualized educational experience rooted in the liberal arts and still preparing people for great careers. And I think that's how small colleges continue to, um, to, to make it. The challenges I think are about to get significantly greater. Um, I am worried about small private colleges as we move uh, particularly through uh, uh, the birth dearth arriving at our doorsteps in 2026. That's going to be an extreme amount of pressure. Um, and the competition of course is, is, is getting vicious out there. Uh, you know, with the, the public system here in, um, in Pennsylvania has, has been under significant stress. And so I do think that small private institutions have got to get more creative in how we work together with one another um, to persist into the future. And um, partnerships, partnerships, partnerships. How can we be creative about how we share curriculum, use back-end services? I think that's a really important thing for us to be considering as we move forward in the future. My apologies, I meant Clay Christensen. I just, the name escaped me for a second. But, <laughs> no problem. But, Obviously, I, I think we all agree when you look at the data for the last 10 years or 20 years, it tells you the health of the company to this point. It doesn't tell you what the college is doing for the next five to 10 years. So, which brings me to this question, given that colleges are based on shared governance, what is the role of the president when it comes to looking at risk and crisis management and, and what, do you, what do you see as, as, as the biggest risk? Obviously the decline birth rate that, that, that you pointed out, but when you look at your colleges and colleges, your college and colleges similar to you, what, what would you say are the top risk or crises? I mean, crises are somewhat hard to predict, but things that you wanna mitigate. Sure. Um, well, yes, I do think the, um, the demographic cliff is, is the number one issue that, that keeps me uh, thinking about the difficult time that all colleges, I'm not gonna say just small privates, all colleges and universities will be facing in the, in the coming years. Um, for small privates in particular, I think many of us went on debt sprees um, mm -hmm. that may come back to haunt us at some point, um, particularly in the early 2000s. I think a lot of uh, folks were uh, eager to take out debt to you know be a part of the the building arm race, um, if you will. And that will be some challenges, uh, will present some challenges for institutions because those bond covenants are likely gonna be at, at risk as we move into the future. Um, 
but again, I think institutions are being really creative about how they, they solve those challenges. Um, I think as we move into the future, um, my approach has been to go back to the, the first part of your question, has to be super transparent with our alumni and alumni, our board of trustees, our faculty, our staff, about what are the potential challenges facing us in the future. Um, and some might say I'm even too transparent, um, but I've had uh, very frequent virtual town halls, in-person town halls. I'm now on a 37 city tour talking with alums and I don't just tell them the good news. I talk about the challenges that lie ahead um, and that we're gonna need everyone's support uh, to help us move into the future. When I arrived at Wilson, I talked about a 54321 plan and I won't bore you with all of them, but number one is that we are one Wilson, that we all put our oars into the water and row in the same direction. And we take pride in our institution and, and, and share that pride. Well, this is a part of that, that I'm trying to educate everyone about the challenges that lie ahead so that we do all put our oars in the water and row in the same direction. Because right now there are a lot of institutions where people are rowing in different directions and they're not moving anywhere. And fortunately, I think I found an institution at Wilson where people are eager to all work together to help advance the institution. Well, you have something to do with that. Well, you know, I, I, I think your, your positive attitude and the can-do attitude, I think makes a huge difference. And I, I guess I'll ask, you know, you, you, you all have been around a little bit after the Civil War since 1869. Um, I, I know your building has some Confederate history as well. Uh, with, with some, I guess one of the buildings got burned or, or what have you at some point, but tell us a bit about the continuity of this history and the legacy of Wilson College and, and what that meant to you when you were actually choosing to come to Wilson College. Yeah, so if I were to look out my window right now, I would see the building um, that uh, got us started. Um, it's mm -hmm. Norland Hall and it was built after the uh, Confederate Army burned our our. Uh, what would eventually become our campus to the ground. The, the entire city of Chambersburg was burned. Um, and, uh, and so General Norland built uh, this, this um, uh, home uh, that we eventually purchased and uh, we've built from there. I think, you know, as I, I think about the history that drew me to this place, it really was that commitment to access um, that I was particularly um, drawn to. Um, but also we have a deeply held honor principle here. And I can't think of a time more in American history where we need to talk more about not just don't lie, cheat or steal, but honorable living. Um, and uh, particularly with all of the discord in our um, government and in politics, um, and even at the corporate level, teaching our graduates to go out and live honorable lives, I just think is a really important conversation that we're having here at Wilson. Uh, we've had at Wilson for 152 years. Um, and I, I really think that it was one of the, the things that drew me to the institution as well. And uh, you did mention Chambersburg. Um, it's a small town of about 20,000 in population. Obviously, Wilson has been at the DNA and the heart of this town. I mean, the, the pretty much the town and the college have grew together. Where would Chambersburg be without Wilson College? 
Or what does Wilson College mean to Chambers work? I guess that's a better warning of it. Well, you know, I think that's been um, a challenged relationship at times because as the college faced uh, financial challenges, particularly in the 70s and 80s, we became very insular. Um, uh, why is that? Well, you know, there were fewer women who were interested in going to women's colleges. So by our very nature, we had to be very nationally focused. Um, mm. Because to be able to get enough students to be able to survive, um, uh, uh, women's institutions can't just look locally. Um, but the moment we became coeducational, we became very regional very quickly. And so um, I have had a push to become more engaged in um, the, the regional community. It's something I pride myself on at, at wherever I'm in, uh, located. But already in my two years here, I'm serving on a, several boards, on, on a uh, committee to help the borough do our comprehensive planning. Um, we now have banners hanging downtown. This is, um, you know, find your bold, a home of Wilson College, because I do want people to think when you come to Chambersburg, uh, this is the home of Wilson College. And for several years, that perhaps wasn't the case. Um, but we're trying to get our students more involved in the local community, our faculty and staff more involved in the local community. Um, so that people do think of us as one and the same, um, because I just wrote to our new um, elected officials this morning, um, we want to work with them to make Chambersburg a great place to live, work, study, and play. Um, and Wilson contributes greatly to that through our cultural offerings, through um, our um, athletic opportunities for, for folks to come and watch our sporting events. Um, from the research that we uh, provide for uh, various organizations in, in town, internships from our students, uh, community service from our students, um, even sponsoring local organizations, we are contributing so much to this community. And we, as Wilson, have to do a better job of sharing that um, and, and making sure that all the residents here in Chambersburg and in Franklin County know um, that we're really proud to be in Chambersburg and that we're uh, delighted to be making a difference in the life of our community. Academically, you know, Plexus has a sort of student outcome ranking every year on pretty much all the major, uh, all the top majors. Uh, your agriculture, your, your veterinary programs, and many other programs are top 10 in Pennsylvania. And obviously, every corner has a college, it seems like, in Pennsylvania. You could throw a rock and, and you'll hit a university. So it's a very saturated market, and you're competing in that market. And, and but by the way, you kind of remind me of UC Davis in some of the, some of the ways you uh, tackle veterinary and agriculture and healthcare and, and then uh, the, the access points. Uh, so, you know, first of all, why should, if you're a student and, and, and you're thinking about a college, why should they really take a serious look at Wilson College? And tell us about the, the focus that you all bring in academically that's unique in Pennsylvania and amongst other liberal arts, liberal arts colleges? Well, I've already mentioned some of the things that from an academic yes. perspective, uh, particularly around animals, but I would also add, uh, you know, our uh, diverse array of business programs, our health science programs, uh, whether that be nursing or exercise science, um, are, are very robust for us. Uh, those are three major clusters, I think, from our traditional undergraduate enrollment side of things that um, help us uh, to, to, to continue to grow enrollment and really serve our local community uh, very well. Um, as far as, uh, you know, why would a student 
want to be at Wilson, um, I, I really encourage them to think about uh, finding a place where people are going to make a difference in your life. So, you know, I'm going to pick on Harvard because everybody often thinks of them as the number one institution uh, in the country. Great students go into Harvard and great students come out of Harvard. But how much did they change while they were there? Um, well, what I know happens at Wilson is that we take good students and make them great students because we're helped transform their lives while they're here. And that's not just done through the educational experience in the classroom, although it's very important component. It's done through the mentorship that our students receive individually from faculty members or staff members. I mean, I'll, I'll give you an example of a student who um, recently had a, some mental health challenges and needed to step away this semester to, to, to take care of, of, of herself. Her number one message to me was to let uh, the gentleman who operates our coffee shop know, I'll be back. The fact that the coffee shop employee um, had had such an important uh, impact on this student tells you about how all faculty staff at Wilson think about their job as being a mentor, as being a relationship builder with our students. And you just don't get that at every institution. Would I be where I am today if the faculty and staff at Center College hadn't personally taken an interest in me, if John Rauch hadn't taken an interest in me and said, here's where I think you need to go. Um, no, I probably wouldn't. Relationships are so important. And at a place like Wilson, you'd be able to develop those relationships. And, and I, I use the word exploit in the best way possible, exploit those relationships to help you move forward and advance in your career and to have a successful life. Well, don't forget, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. Really, really the opportunity time. to be with you and um, uh, just saying out to all the listeners out there, uh, wishing them the very best as we go through some challenging times here in our country. And hopefully we'll come out the other end uh, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a better place than we are now. Excellent. Well said. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. For more information on Plexus, you can visit us at plexus.com forward slash solutions. That's P-L-E-X-U-S-S dot com forward slash solutions. Or you can email us at podcast at plexus.com.